politics, football, faith, and theology. You're listening to Pfft Podcast, and I'm your host, Daniel. So I am excited because last week something happened that, to the best of my knowledge, has not happened since 1973. And that is that the Supreme Court of the United States agreed to take up a case dealing with an abortion law that directly and blatantly conflicts with Roe v. Wade. So Mississippi has a law uh, that prohibits all abortions after 15 weeks. Roe v. Wade, uh, the core holding of Roe v. Wade says that states may not prohibit abortions until the fetus is viable. Now, now viable means uh, two things. In, in medicine, viable just means the, the baby's able to survive. Uh, you know, if you have, that, that you're not going to necessarily have a miscarriage. So if your fetus is still alive, you're pregnant, uh, everything seems to be going well, then your baby's viable no matter how far along you are, okay? But in law, in, in Roe v. Wade, what they mean by viable is if you were to take the baby out of the womb right now, then would the baby survive? Okay, and that happens at about, uh, I think, 24 weeks is uh, typically when uh, viability is, is thought to occur, although uh, babies have been known to survive uh, when born at as early as, I think, 21 weeks or so. I'm not exactly sure how often or, or how early, but it's something like that. Anyway, 15 weeks, everybody agrees. Uh, there's no way, at, with current medical technology, there's no way that a baby's going to survive uh, being born at 15 weeks. So this law uh, in Mississippi very clearly conflicts with the core holding of Roe v. Wade. And the Supreme Court has heard a lot of challenges uh, over the years to uh, abortion regulations. Okay, but none of them have had a provision that directly conflicts with the core holding of Roe v. Wade. And I'm going to say in, in a bit why that's important. The the cases that they've taken up have been things like parental notification laws or a law that forbids the use of government money from funding abortion and saying, well, are those things unconstitutional? Or what about a, a regulation that says that the doctor who performs an abortion has to be a licensed medical doctor or has to have admitting privileges at a local hospital or uh, it, maybe it bans a certain kind of abortion like saline abortions or like uh, partial birth abortions, but it doesn't ban all abortions at you know for any stage. Um, those are the kinds of laws that the Supreme Court has taken up and ruled on and uh, and sometimes ruled upholding the regulation and sometimes struck down the regulation. What this case does that is different is that there is no way there is no way that the court can uphold the regulation and maintain Roe v. Wade. Now, in Planned Parenthood v. Casey, it looked like there was a good chance the court was going to overturn Roe v. Wade altogether. In fact, that could have happened also in uh, Webster v. Reproductive Health Services in 1989. Okay, that was a case where the it was a state law that said state funds can't be used for abortions, and uh, <laughs> amazingly, 
uh, four justices of the Supreme Court were even going to go so far as to say that was unconstitutional, that, that the federal constitution not only says states can't prohibit abortion, but compels states to use their money to uh, support abortions, which is unbelievable. But five justices uh, said, no, this is this is a constitutional regulation. Four of those justices said, let's just get rid of Roe v. Wade altogether. And one of them, Sandra Day O'Connor, said, we can keep Roe v. Wade. Uh, this law does not conflict with Roe v. Wade, so there's no occasion to overturn or re- even revisit Roe v. Wade right now. Planned Parenthood v. Casey, um, that was a little different. There were several regulations. Uh, none of them directly conflicted with Roe v. Wade. You could have upheld all five of the regulations. I think it was five. And without uh, overturning Roe v. Wade. Still, there were four justices who wanted to overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, Kennedy famously switched, and uh, it, there were going to be five justices who would vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. Kennedy changed his mind at the last minute and uh, voted to not only to not overturn Roe v. Wade, but to reaffirm Roe v. Wade. And uh, they, there was some discussion you know, in, the, in their decision about why they were doing that. Obviously, I think those were all very bad reasons because I think Roe v. Wade is not only um, not only grossly immoral and unjust, but it's also one of the worst pieces of legal reasoning ever written by mankind. Okay, uh, and I'll talk about that in a future episode. That's not what I'm here for right now. I'm I'm here to more talk about this issue that the Supreme Court is taking up right now in Mississippi. Uh, but but anyway, my point right now is that. All of the cases so far that the Supreme Court has ever taken up, even the ones where there's been a chance of overturning Roe v. Wade, they have all had to do with regulations that do not directly conflict with Roe v. Wade. Spousal notice, informed consent, parental consent, um, things like uh, you know ultrasound laws or or laws that say how you dispose of fetal remains. There was one in Indiana. Uh, that did that. None of these conflict with Roe v. Wade because none of these prohibit abortions before viability. This is the first time ever since Roe v. Wade that the Supreme Court has taken up a challenge to hear a law that uh, that that prohibits abortions altogether entirely, starting at a point well before viability. So this is very big because what that means. What that means is that in taking up this case, the Supreme Court has agreed to re-examine the core holding of Roe v. Wade. Okay, there's no other way reason to take up this case because Roe, if if you're not going to re-examine Roe v. Wade, then this case is an open shut case. It's unconstitutional. You know, I put that in quotes because Roe v. Wade has nothing to do with the Constitution, but. Um, it's, you know, quote, unconstitutional under Roe v. Wade, period, end of story, okay? The Supreme Court does not take up cases like that. The Supreme Court would not take up such an obvious open-shut case unless they had a reason to think maybe we should re-examine Roe v. Wade. That means at least four justices want to re-examine Roe v. Wade, and I would bet that uh, they think they have a fifth vote. <laughs> I don't think that four justices are going to uh, vote to take up this case if they 
sincerely think that uh, the other five justices are all going to vote to uphold Roe v. Wade and, uh, and you know, dig their heels in even farther. So this is a very good sign. Um, there are, I think there are two realistic possibilities out of this case. I don't think it's, I don't think there's any way this uh, law gets struck down. The, the, so far, the law has been uh, struck down by district court, and and that was uh, that judgment was upheld by the um, circuit court. So uh, I, I don't think there's any way, or, or at least I think it's highly unlikely. I shouldn't say there's no way because you know Supreme Court justices have surprised me many times before. I think it's highly unlikely that you'll see the court just say, yes, this law is unconstitutional, we're going to uphold Roe v. Wade, end of story. I think they're going to say that this law is constitutional. Uh, because otherwise, why would they Why would they take up the case if they didn't uh, sort of already see that uh, this core holding of Roe v. Wade needs to be overturned? The two possibilities, then, are that they entirely overturn Roe v. Wade, which is what I think they should do, and I'll do a future episode where I give, I don't know, maybe 10 reasons or something for why I think they should overturn Roe v. Wade. The other possibility is that they partially overturn Roe v. Wade. And what they could do is something, they could say something like a ban on abortions after 15 weeks is constitutional. We're not going to rule on whether a ban on abortions at, say, six weeks is constitutional or not. So Roe v. Wade said you can't ban abortions any time until about 24 weeks. This says this law says, oh, we can, we're, we're going to ban abortions at 15 weeks. Uh, the, so if that's upheld, then great. Now every state can ban abortions at 15 weeks. But can a state, what if a state bans abortions at 12 weeks? Well, then maybe, you know, if, if the Supreme Court does not explicitly overturn Roe v. Wade in its entirety, but only partially overturns Roe v. Wade, what's going to happen is that a state's going to ban abortions at 12 weeks. And that's going to get a, probably a district judge appointed by Obama is going to say, oh, that's unconstitutional under Roe v. Wade because uh, that part of Roe v. Wade hasn't been overturned yet. And therefore, uh, you know, because this is earlier than 15 weeks, the court, the court hasn't overturned the, the aspect of Roe v. Wade that says you can't ban it, you know, earlier than 15 weeks. And then that'll have to go up to the Supreme Court, and hopefully they'll grant Sierra or Rory. And somebody else will do it. Some other state will do it at six weeks. Uh, and some other state will do it. Uh, Alabama, I think, still has a law on the books, although it's not being enforced because of an injunction, uh, banning abortion altogether from conception. Maybe at some point that'll have to go to the court. Um, and, and if... Uh, if the court decides to go sort of the the middle the middle ground way uh, by saying this law is constitutional but not but declining to rule on whether laws banning abortions earlier are constitutional, then they're going to have to take up these challenges at some point in order to provide clarity because uh, you don't have a really a workable rule if you have one judgment from 1973 that says everything before viability is unconstitutional and a judgment from 2022 that says not everything before viability is unconstitutional and then 
district judges and circuit court judges are kind of left to d- decide for themselves what to make of that. You know, okay, at least you know, 15 weeks and up, it's constitutional. But what about before that? You've got you got one one thing. You got Roe v. Wade that says it's unconstitutional. But then you've got uh, you've got a judgment from 2022 that says, well, Roe v. Wade was wrong, but we're not going to say <laughs> the answer to that question. Um, it, it would just be a mess. And so the Supreme Court would have to take a, a case at 12 weeks or six weeks or, or even the Alabama-type case where it's a ban altogether. And uh, eventually they would have to decide more and more of these cases over a process of years. And uh, eventually, if the makeup of the court doesn't change, I know Clarence Thomas is getting old, and you know, but eventually probably what they would do is eventually overturn Roe v. Wade in its entirety. Now, I think if you're going to do that, you may as well do it all in one shot. And I think uh, I think there's actually a good chance that this will happen. Look, there have been uh, at least two cases, Webster in 1989 and Planned Parenthood v. Casey in 1992, where four justices were just about ready to pull the trigger and overturn Roe v. Wade in its entirety. And uh, those were cases that didn't even directly challenge the core holding of Roe. This case does. This case is unlike any of those cases before. You know, I, I, I feel like conservatives kind of uh, sometimes too easily, or, or not even necessarily conservatives, but Christians or pro-life people or, or people who just uh, believe that uh, all human life is made in God's image. These sorts of people, we tend to get a little pessimistic and think, well, Roe v. Wade's never going to get overturned. It's just impossible. There have been too many times before when we could have and didn't, or too many Republican-appointed justices who have not overturned Roe v. Wade. And I've dealt with some of these arguments in a previous episode, so I don't want to go over them too much. You can look at, uh, it was um, October 23rd, 2020, I posted an episode about that, uh, where I dealt with some of these arguments. But, you know, the, the basic point was, well, one of the basic points was just because it hasn't happened before doesn't mean it can't happen. And this is a brand new thing. No case like this has ever been taken up by the Supreme Court since Roe v. Wade was decided. This is a perfect opportunity. This is a better opportunity to overturn Roe v. Wade than we had in 1989. This is a better opportunity to overturn Roe v. Wade than we had in 1992 uh, because it directly challenges Roe v. Wade. Uh, and that was the question they granted Sierra Rory to. It was, uh, let me let me pull up the exact question, but the question they granted Sierra Rory to was, quote, whether all pre-viability prohibitions on elective abortions are unconstitutional. Well, Roe v. Wade says almost in as many words, not quite, but, but pretty much exactly says the answer to that is yes. And so they are explicitly re-examining Roe v. Wade here. That has never happened before in, in the at the Sir Rory stage. Sir Rory is a fancy word that just means the Supreme Court agrees to hear the case. Um, I want to read some excerpts from the petition for a writ of Sir Rory written by the Attorney, Attorney General of Mississippi. Uh, let me check again, remind myself what her name is. M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. Okay. Uh, attorney. Uh, the Attorney General of Mississippi, Lynn Fitch. I was thinking it sounded something like Loretta Lynch, but I knew that wasn't right. Okay, Lynn Fitch is the Attorney General of Mississippi, and she wrote this amazing 
document uh, include with this petition for a writ of Sirtir Rory um, a while back, and the Supreme Court finally agreed to hear it. They, they had been putting off the decision for a long time, by the way, and I'm not exactly sure why. They, they put off the decision, I think they could have made this decision um, at least six months ago, and they kept... Every time they would meet to decide what cases are we going to take up, you know, things like that, and make, make kind of their minor decisions. Every time they would meet to, to do these things, they would always put off deciding whether or not to take up this case. And, and this is a rare thing. Usually they just say, all right, we're, we're going to take up this case or we're not. And usually the answer is no. They, you know, it's a very tiny number of cases that actually get taken up by the Supreme Court and go to oral arguments and all that. And so you're very lucky to get... Uh, if you do get taken up, but the but the court decided it kept putting off this decision for months and months and months and months and months. They were I think this was before yeah before even the presidential election before uh, Amy Coney Barrett was on the court. They were putting off this decision, and um, once she got on the court, they met again to decide should we take up this uh, challenge, and they put off the decision again and, and kept putting it off until now. And I was kind of following this and crossing my fingers and hoping and praying that uh, they would take it up, and they finally have. So I'm excited. But here's here are some things that the writ of C.R.T. Rory does, or the, the petition for a writ of C.R.T. Rory. So this is written by the attorney general who's defending the Mississippi statute, trying to convince the Supreme Court that uh, they should take up this case. Um, and, and what she does is she points to past Supreme Court decisions where they have said things that already kind of conflict with Roe. So Webster v. Reproductive Health Services in 1989, um, a plurality of the Supreme Court, uh, not a majority exactly, but a, uh, it was four justices, but there was no majority, so this was kind of the court's decision, but not, not really because it was only a plurality. But what they said was... Um, that they could, quote, not see why the state's interest in protecting human life should come into existence only at a point of viability, and that there should therefore be a rigid line allowing a state regulation after viability but prohibiting it before viability. In other words, this this bright line, as, as uh, Lynn Fitch keeps putting it, this bright line of viability, even back in 1989, uh, a plurality of the court said that they could not see any justification for that bright line. So it says, uh, this case, what, what Lynn Fitch writes, she says, this case is an ideal vehicle to make that acknowledgement a holding and reconsider the Bright Line viability rule. And then she points out in uh, Gonzalez v. Carhart, which is the 2006 case where the Supreme Court upheld a federal ban on partial birth abortions. Uh, she says she writes in Gonzalez, this court, meaning the Supreme Court, recognized that an unborn child, quote, is a living organism while within the womb, whether or not it is viable outside the womb, end quote. As a result, that child is entitled to, quote, respect for the dignity of its human life, end quote. And then she writes, the, the attorney general is writing now. Conversely, Roe's viability line is arbitrary, constantly moves as medical knowledge increases, and fails to honor the reality that states have substantial interests of their own beginning from the outset of pregnancy. Indeed, by 15 weeks, the baby's development is so great, and the likelihood of her eventual live and healthy birth is so high, that it makes little sense to say a state has no interest in protecting the infant's life, 
which is what Roe v. Wade says, by the way, not to mention the state's substantial interest in the mother's life and safety, the baby's pain and suffering, and, quote, the coarsening of society to the humanity of all vulnerable and innocent human life. I'm not sure what she's quoting in that last quotation, um, but, but she she mentions so many good reasons why the viability standard is a terrible standard. Um, it conflicts with these later statements by the Supreme Court. Um, she mentions in her in this petition, uh, I don't have a quotation in front of me, but she brings up the fact that when Roe created this bright line viability rule that says the state can prohibit abortions before uh, after viability but not before viability, that question wasn't even before the court in Roe v. Wade. Uh, the, the law at issue there did not have uh, a time when abortions were legal and when they were illegal. So that question wasn't even before the court, so that whole rule shouldn't really have been treated as a precedent anyway. Uh, another thing this petition for a writ of Rory does, it talks about how viability doesn't make sense because it changes as medicine changes. It talks about how new scientific uh, knowledge has allowed us to even better understand the fetus as humanity. You know, we can see ultrasounds, and we can more clearly see how obviously human a fetus is. But And, and how, why would... Um, as a separate issue to that, why would it be why would it be the case that as medicine improves, so that uh, you can have a better and better chance of having a fetus survive, maybe at twenty one weeks rather than twenty four weeks? Uh, why would that change the moral status of a twenty three week old fetus that maybe fifty years ago was not viable, but today maybe is viable? Uh, the moral status of the of the baby doesn't change depending on medical technology what medical technology exists so uh the viability rule really does not make any sense as a standard for when a baby's life is valuable uh it mentions that the viability rule isn't really strictly followed already uh because mississippi still has on the books a ban on abortions after 20 weeks and other states have similar bans at you know maybe 22 weeks or something like that um so in some ways, this viability standard isn't really strictly followed to begin with. Um, it talks about how viability isn't the standard for wrongful death lawsuits. So, for example, if a, uh, your fetus dies, uh, maybe a doctor treated, uh, you know, committed malpractice or something like that, you can uh, you can use a wrongful death lawsuit, and it doesn't matter if the fetus is, uh, you know, has reached the twenty four week viability mark or whatever. Um, it mentions that abortions near viability are also bad for maternal health. It's not saying that that's the only reason that the state should be able to regulate it, but it's saying even if the fetus isn't viable, even if it's only at 20 weeks or so, it's bad for maternal health to have an abortion. Um, and, and here's a quotation that I really like from, from this petition. It says, America cannot be a humane, civilized society if its courts preclude lawmakers from imposing reasonable limits on the taking of innocent human life. You know, there's something... There's a bit of an interesting challenge that the Attorney General had to deal with, and, and that is, if all human life is valuable, including, you know, all, including an embryo of a human being, including a, a zygote, including, you know, from the moment of conception, if all human life is valuable and made in the image of God, then why would the law prohibit abortions at 15 weeks rather than all abortions? And the answer to that is... Uh, because they're trying to overturn Roe v. Wade. That's, that's the real answer. But she has to, uh, 
she has to write in a way that um, you know, she, she's not trying to argue right now, legally speaking. She's trying to. Do, she's not trying to argue that abortion should be prohibited from conception. Legally speaking, what she's trying to do is argue that the 15-week ban must be sustained. And she didn't write it, you know, but she has to defend it. And she has to sort of give at least some explanation for why 15 weeks makes any sense at all. And and so one thing that she does is she says at some point that um, once the fetus gets to a certain stage of development where it's so obviously human, those kinds of abortions are particularly likely to sort of dull the senses of humanity, um, both in the abortion doctors and in society at large, if it were a society that allows this sort of uh, abortion procedure that's particularly gruesome uh, once the once the baby has reached a certain stage of development. Uh, so she mentions that. But then here, I, I love this, this sentence here, reasonable limits on the taking of innocent human life. I mean, that's kind of, a, it's kind of a, uh, an oxymoron, and I think it's consciously so, because she knows and everybody knows that uh, all innocent human life ought to be protected, that uh, reasonable, the only reasonable limit on the taking of innocent human life is that you should never take innocent human life intentionally. Um, but here she's sort of uh, almost a little tongue-in-cheek saying, well, you know, we're saying at least at 15 weeks, don't take innocent human life. Before that, we're, we're going to, you know, we're, we're being reasonable here. We're not prohibiting all taking of innocent human life. We're only prohibiting it starting at 15 weeks. She's being a little tongue-in-cheek there, but in, in a way that I think is uh, sort of points very clearly to the the heart of the issue here, that this law isn't even prohibiting all taking of innocent human life. It's only prohibiting it after 15 weeks. Uh, you know, can we at least say that that's not unconstitutional? Um, I think it's, I think it's, she very, did a very good job handling that, that issue of how do we deal with the fact that this is a 15-week abortion ban when really all abortions ought to be banned. Uh you know, there's nothing in the petition that suggests that abortions before 15 weeks are okay. Uh, it's The petition is laser-focused on this bright-line viability rule from Roe. <laughs> Another th- part I like about it is it doesn't say the court has to overturn Roe. It just says the court should totally overturn Roe. So it says, to be clear, the questions presented in this petition do not require the court to overturn Roe or Casey. They merely ask the court to reconcile a conflict in its own precedence. And then there's a, its precedence meaning Webster, where they uh, where the plurality said we don't see how this rule makes this viability thing makes any sense. And then um, Gonzalez, where they s- said a fetus is a living organism and has dignity and the state ought to recognize that regardless of viability. That was something they said in, uh, in Gonzalez v. Carhartt. Uh, so it's saying, you know, there's already a conflict in the court's own precedence, which is something that's, uh, by the way, this is an important thing for getting this court to agree to, to hear a case. They're not just going to agree to hear any old case. They have to have some reason to hear it, that there's, oh, there's some kind of conflict between uh, maybe the Tenth Circuit and the Sixth Circuit uh, have a conflict in how they handle a, a certain thing. They take opposite approaches to exactly the same question. We've got to resolve that conflict, tell them which one is right. Or, you know, we have a precedent that conflicts with another precedent. Uh, we got to clarify which precedent ought to be followed. 
things like that. So she's uh, pointing out that the Supreme Court has said things that uh, very much seem to undercut the bright line viability rule. And so there needs to be that reconciliation. So it says it doesn't ask uh, the court to overturn Roe or Casey. They merely ask the courts to reconcile a conflict in its own precedents. And then there's a footnote that says, if the court determines that it cannot reconcile Roe and Casey with other precedents or scientific advancements showing a compelling state interest in fetal life far earlier in pregnancy than these cases contemplate, the court should not retain erroneous precedent. And then they cite a case where the Supreme Court has overturned precedent about racial segregation or something. Um, or I think it was racial discrimination in voting. So what they're saying is, we're not saying you have to overturn Roe or Casey, but, you know, if you look at it and, and realize that Roe and Casey were just, you know, completely out of line, then, yeah, of course, at that point you should overturn it, which everybody knows. Even Even the most liberal progressive justices, they know that Roe and Casey are completely out of line and that there's no um, that there's no legal groundwork for them, that they were just made up out of thin air. They know this, and, and this is why they always talk about precedent. They don't talk about, um, you know, the rights in the Constitution. There's nothing in the Constitution about abortion. Even the, the so-called right to privacy that is that Roe uses to sort of try to justify the idea that there's a right to abortion, even the right, the phrase right to privacy is not in the Constitution. You know, maybe the closest you can get is unreasonable searches and seizures, but obviously that has nothing to do with abortion. So even the most liberal progressive justices know that Roe v. Wade is complete, uh, a complete steaming pile of manure. And uh, so they only argue on the basis of precedent, that we don't want to overturn past cases. Of course, they're all happy to overturn precedent um, if they don't like it, if they don't like the outcome. Not always, but but quite often. Uh, so, so they're inconsistent there. But uh, anyway, I think it's a really good idea to focus uh, th- this laser focus on the bright line viability test. It's the weakest point of Roe. All of Roe is weak. There's not a single sentence in, if you actually read the decision, you're hard-pressed to find a single sentence that makes any sense. But uh, you don't have to convince everyone that abortion, you know, at any stage is immoral in order to convince them that viability, this bright line viability standard in Roe, is not a good standard for when the baby has a right to life. You know, whether you judge by common sense or even by current law. Um, so it, it's not that they're trying to get the court to declare a right to life starting at conception. In a sense, that's not the court's job, at least not with a case like this. Um, you know, with a case like this, all they have to do is say, is this law unconstitutional or not? And so instead of trying to get the court to declare that there's a right to life starting at conception, they're just laser-focused on this. Is there really something in the Constitution that says you can't prohibit abortions before viability, but you can after viability? And the answer to that is a very clear no. That it, it's the weakest point of Roe in the sense that it's the easiest to attack and it's the easiest to maybe not even, it might not even be that hard to sway public opinion on that uh, for what that's worth. Not that I think it should be worth much uh, for a Supreme Court, but, you know, uh, the Chief Justice might disagree with me. So uh, if it helps to convince him, great. Uh, but if the court 
decides that the viability rule is not uh, the right standard, then they are overturning a substantial, substantial part of Roe's core holding, and therefore they have to figure out what to do from there. And so probably what's going to happen is either immediately they're just going to have to overturn Roe entirely, which is what they should do, or they'll overturn it in stages. There will be a 12-week abortion ban next, and then a 6-week abortion ban. And, and they'll have to say, you know, under the reasoning of, of Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, that, that's the name of this case now, that they're going to decide, I think probably next June is when it's going to come out, maybe before that. Uh, next June is probably the latest it'll come out. But under under the reasoning there, there's no reason that abortions, abortion bans starting at 15 weeks are unconstitutional. Are, sorry, are constitutional, but abortion bans starting at 12 weeks are unconstitutional. So we have to allow abortion bans at 12 weeks, and then somebody else will do six weeks, and they'll they'll have to do the same thing. And then somebody else will do uh, starting from conception, and they'll have to do the same thing. And you know, in, in a series of I don't know, maybe three or four cases, um, Roe v. Wade will be overturned. So that's a possibility. Of course, you know. It takes a lot of time for these things to percolate through the courts, and so you never know the makeup of the court could change. That's one reason why I hope they overturn it all in one shot. The other reason is why why bother um, litigating all of these different cases? We all, as long as you're overturning the core holding of Roe to begin with, uh, why not just go all out and overturn it? All right, that's all I got. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe uh, and go to my website, pftpodcast.com. That's pftpodcast.com for past episodes and to get my RSS feed if you have some uh, you know, podcast app where you need an RSS feed. Uh, send me an email to let me know your thoughts. Uh, my email is daniel.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and please tell a friend and join me next time.